It's time for episode 263 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, October 17th, 2018. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that goes from analog to digital. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and across the table from me, you heard his voice already, but sitting in for Micah Sargent, it's a man who knows one end of a clock from another, Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Dan. The episode numbers are much higher than the last time i was here <laughs> well we uh we've suffered from a little episode inflation so you know we just we upped in all my, the numbers in, in my day it was a two-digit number anyway <laughs> it's good to be back on uh the show that you and i did for so long i'm happy to fill in for micah uh it's uh, like uh, a comfortable pair of old slippers yeah it's like uh it's, you never quite forget it's like uh, falling off a clock I have kept watching the clock this whole time, That's so thank you for asking me a little me troublesome. Okay, <laughs> our, we have, of course, two guests with us to my left, my very good friend and the co-host of The Rebound, as well as other fine podcasts like Inconceivable and something about turning a car around. I don't really remember. Lex Friedman's here. Hi, Lex. How you doing? Did you know that the third hand on a clock is the second hand? i I wasn't told that there would be brain teasers (laughs) and to my left host of uh, podcasts on the twit network including ios today it's megan maroney hi megan hello did you know that i no longer know how to read a clock just digital i realize i've well with my apple watch i cannot read a regular clock so don't throw that at me Oh man, our clock show is off to a good start today. <laughs> you know, Lex, the uh, the second and third hand of a clock are yours, but the first hand, it's ours. Oh <laughs> uh, well, speaking of first hand experiences, mm. I'm going to go first. Uh, so Microsoft is redesigning its Cortana app for iOS. But my question for you uh, is: Is there really any utility to a third party voice assistant on your smartphone that is one that's not made by the maker of your phone? So. Anything but Siri on iOS or Google Assistant on Android platforms. Do you guys use these at all? Do they serve any useful purpose? Lex? So, first of all, I love this question coming from you to me because I remember when you and I first heard the rumors of Siri before it was announced at an Apple event. And I was like, I want to believe this is true. And I'm a big fan of Siri. Um, I'm also a big hater of Siri. I am both at the same time. And... The reality is the answer to your question is yes, Dan. There is room for a second virtual assistant on another phone. I use, um, I'm sorry to trigger everybody's devices, but I use Alexa on my iPhone with some regularity. I use it both in the Alexa app and especially in the Amazon Music app because uh, I use Amazon Music as my streaming subscription music service of choice. And I set it up in my car and then I just say with the app open, Alexa, play this song or play this album. And then it can also just be regular Alexa. You can say like, what time is it or what's on my calendar and it's just always listening for its word it's far more reliable and understands me far better than siri and uh i don't know where i'd use cortana specifically but i like it being i like the technology being built into an app i'm already wanting to use for another purpose that siri does not integrate with yeah for me the answer the simple answer to your question dan is no i think one of the problems with especially ios is you have you have to use the one that is primary and uh I'm not going to launch a Google app or an Amazon app or anything like that just to then talk. Like, let me tap and tap and tap. Or worse, I suppose, might be to ask Siri. To, <laughs> hey, Siri, uh, see, we're we're doing all of them now. <laughs> ask your buddy Cortana to ask Alexa if uh, the Google Assistant likes me or not. Like, it's just, I mean, the problem is you've got a primary assistant. 
I want to do you one better, though, because you know what's even worse is a primary assistant that is dumb where you want to use the secondary assistant. And I think that's the case on Samsung phones where they really wanted you to use their half-baked voice assistant when what you really want to do is use the Google Assistant. That's even worse. But no, I, I you know, the primary assistant on an Android phone, it's the Google Assistant on an iOS device. It's Siri on a canister in your living room. It's whatever canister that is. And I think that's just how it is. I also use the Amazon voice assistant and I do like it because I know the syntax and that's nice because I use it on all my house is just covered in Amazon echoes. But I do find that if I only if I use too many of them, I've all I've all, I've used all of them. I've I've tried all of them and been disappointed in various ways by all of them. But if I only use Siri, then I feel like I get better at knowing exactly how it wants me to ask things. So I feel like I've I need to stop using the other ones. Although I can't use Siri on the um, the Amazon Echo, so that's hard. But so between Siri. And the Amazon Echo, those are the ones, the Amazon voice services. And I do use it on my phone and on my uh, iPad. And I love that you can do that. And it knows my flash briefing and all that stuff. But yeah, I uh, I don't use the Google Assistant because I don't want to get used to that syntax, even though I definitely feel like that is the smartest one. Yeah, I've tried them all to varying degrees. And I, I just use, I thought of this because I just actually ended up using the Amazon app on my phone the other day to trigger something because I was in a place where uh, the uh, the Echo couldn't hear me. Uh, and I wanted to tell it to do something before I like walked back upstairs from the basement. Uh, and so I was like, oh, well, that's handy if I have my phone at hand. Obviously, if I just want to summon the assistant while I'm sitting around, it's it's less useful to use the phone version. But I do have then the Echoes sitting around the house. Um, I agree with Lex that I have used uh, it in the Amazon Music app as well. And there is some utility to it there. I think the biggest problem there is that, you know, if you're driving in a car when you want to use it and you haven't already launched it, <laughs> then you have to go through like either tell Siri to open it or you have to like you know start using your phone when you're hopefully parked or you know otherwise not moving but yeah i I think it's tricky to have these um you know third-party assistants buried in such a way that they're not immediately accessible but perhaps there is still some value to them as you point out thanks for your thoughts on that let's go to our second topic which comes from lex it sure does so i have a a crazy job that is uh, busy and demanding and then also have like the rest of life like many of us do most of us are alive uh and i sometimes struggle to keep things organized and rely on software or depend on software or hope that software can help me solve this problem and so i'm wondering what software or combination of software you all use to manage the craziness of life um and, you know, this could be like the Reminders app on iOS. It could be Things, uh, Yojimbo, uh, Evernote. Like, what do you use to kind of get your brain into digital form, if anything, to kind of organize thoughts, notes, etc.? That's That's my question for the room. If somebody has a way to get my brain in digital form completely, let me know uh, because we, I, I, I am looking forward to that happening in the next uh, next few years before I uh, become 100 years old and uh, decrepit. So please send those in. But otherwise, for like my to-do list, I, you know, my, my reluctance with to-do lists is always that I worry that they're going to end up being more work in maintaining the system than in the work that they're presumably saving me time to do. And uh, I don't want to end up uh, being a really expert user of a to-do list when I need to actually be doing work instead. So 
Um, I'm really reluctant to use these. I am using Todoist a little bit at uh, sort of Mike Hurley's suggestion. I am using it mostly for recurring to-dos, although occasionally I'll put something else in there. So it's sort of the place where it's got a bunch of weekly to-dos that I can check off of like, oh, today I need to do that. Today I need to do this. It's got some that are every other week or every month. And that's been helpful. I used to put those all on a calendar and I'm kind of okay with those in Todoist now. I think that's a better place for them. And I use the Reminders app, but I use it differently. I kind of use it um, first as a story list. If I come up with an idea for a story I want to write or a video I want to make or something I want to mention on a podcast, I will usually throw it in uh, a Reminders list. And that's also where some long-term things that I don't want to... The problem with a lot of date-based to-do list apps is if I say I need to do this thing by by December 1st, the problem there is that that is the end of the process. I need to be reminded all along the way that that thing is coming up on December 1st, and I don't need to do it today, but I need to do it by then. And I found that, that at least in my experience, the to-do apps are bad at that, so I end up using those in reminders, too, where it just sort of sits there as one item that is by December 1st, do this thing. So I'm kind of all over the place, but I'm just trying to keep it light, because what I don't want to do is end up having to maintain a system, because I think that's a waste of time. I uh, waste my time maintaining a very elaborate system. Um, (laughs) I've tried everything, like the assistants. I've tried every single to-do app that exists out there. And I always come back to my bullet journal, which always works for me. It's a physical thing. So I use it as a journal for old-fashioned journaling. Like if I want to, you know, if I have a story idea or if something I want to accomplish or something I just need to get out of my brain, I I put that on there. Um, It's a calendar. So I have a very elaborate system of, um, you know, I do the bullet journal system by writer Carol. um, And I start with the entire year. So every month I write out and then um, then every month I uh, put, you know, number one through 30 for every day of the month. And then I put all my things in there. And then I have a daily thing where I put my to do's that I have to do. And then I like it because, you know, you have a lot of to do's that you realize, like, once they don't get done, you're they don't really need to get done. So then I if I write them again, that means I really want to do them. And then if I'm like, oh, well, do I really want to, you know, I don't know, uh, rearrange my bedroom furniture. No, I don't. I don't need to do that. That's that's useless. So I just cross it off. And um, I like the, the physical thing because any app that I've used is always going to be hidden under my Twitter or my email or like I'll pick up my phone and it's just I'm just distracted by something else. And uh, the bullet journal is just the bullet journal and it's not distracting um, and I can't scroll through Twitter on it. And that's why I love it. Uh, I'm kind of with Jason on this one down with the system, man. Uh, I don't really, I, I also find them kind of uh, a lot of overhead for me for what I need to accomplish. So I rely on a fairly light uh, to-do list um, option, which is just reminders on iOS and the Mac. I like it because it syncs between them. Usually works pretty well. Uh, and I can keep track of like my personal stuff in one list, my work stuff in another list. And then I have like, you know, uh, uh, lists that are contextual for like, oh, stuff I need to pack when I'm going on a trip. Um and then for like pretty much everything else that I need to dump like random information somewhere, I use the notes app. Uh, and again, because it syncs easily between my iOS devices and my Macs. Um, that way, like if I'm taking notes on something like a, for a podcast, I can like sit down and type stuff out on my iPad. And then when I get to my Mac to record it, I just open up notes and there it is. I've tried other stuff in the past, Evernote, um, Simple Note, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. But I found, you know, the Apple Zone apps are generally pretty reliable for me. Uh, 
and they just they get out of the way. There are some things that they could offer that I think would make my life a little easier, but uh, most of the time they they get the job done, and I don't really rely too much on things like recurring tasks. I do still use a calendar uh, occasionally for those kind of things, but uh, I try as much as possible to get the system out of the way so I can get down to the nuts and bolts of whatever I should be doing with that time. Uh, well, you're all wrong. No, I... <laughs> The the truth is, I don't know what the answer is to this problem. Um, I feel like most people probably need a custom bit of software that is designed exactly for them. <laughs> um, the I'm currently experimenting with Evernote. It's an experiment that's been going on for about five days, so I'm not sold. In the past, I used Yojimbo for, for many months. What was exciting was when I opened up Evernote again, I saw notes from 2015, which was the last time I tried it. Um <laughs> It was like, here are the companies that want to acquire mid-roll. Spoiler alert. One of them did. Um, But so (laughs) the... I don't know. Evernote has this bizarre business model where obviously they want you to upgrade and and pay, but they limit how many devices you can sync to until you have paid. Um, So you can only sync to two devices at a time. So you're constantly either not using a device because it won't be synced to it or unlinking devices at random. It's great. Um, I, I use reminders all the time. Typically I only set them with Siri. I find the UI for setting reminders on the Mac or the uh, iPhone offensive and horrible. (laughs) Um, but I tell Siri to set reminders for me constantly. Uh, and then I tend to ignore those reminders. So typically, if it's really, really urgent, I set reminders, and then I also put it on my actual calendar because I do listen to my calendar because I really didn't know what to do all day. Uh, but there is no great solution, and I need a better one, and somebody should design one that's just for me, and I would pay them easily tens of dollars. <laughs> well, that is two topics down, two topics to go. First, we've got halftime here at Clockwise. This episode of Clockwise is brought to you by our friends at Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store or a portfolio or a blog. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Ideas. My, our good friend Micah Sargent likes to talk about how easy it is to start a podcast on Squarespace and how much he appreciates the ability for them to roll out new tools and just have them working on day one. Squarespace plans start at just $12 per month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash clockwise. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code clockwise to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for clockwise. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash clockwise and the code clockwise to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. All right, Jason, make your next move. What's your topic? Well, so Paul Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft, passed away this week, and Microsoft got in the game by creating a programming language for early personal computers. It was basic. It was licensed to all sorts of different computers. They they used that to then get in the door at IBM and provide them with MS-DOS, which then created the PC clone industry, and that led to Windows. And Paul Allen, when he left Microsoft, was a millionaire. Uh, within 10 years, he was a billionaire <laughs> and uh, did a lot of great things in his life. But I want to talk about that initial uh, inception of Microsoft and their creation of a programming language for a computer. Now, depending on where you know where you were and when you grew up, your introduction to computers and the fact that they could be given instructions might be very different. I was just kind of curious to ask all of you, what was the first uh, experience you had uh, 
in front of a, a computer or other technology device where it was that you can you can give it commands and teach it how to do things, whether those were complicated things or simple things. Megan, what was your first programming a computer experience? Uh, that would be basic uh, in the 80s. In I think it was elementary school. It was not middle, middle school. And um, I get this sort of feeling like I've interviewed so many people and talked to so many people about their first experience with computers. And it's always this like amazing experience and I would never change it. And uh, it's what, you know, formed my life. And I do not have a great memory of basic. Like I, my dad had an Apple computer and then, you know, he had a Mac later at home. And that to me, like that, nothing that I was doing on there was necessarily programming, but it was just such a wonderful creative experience. Whereas that middle school classroom where someone was trying to teach me basic like that, uh, was not um, very exciting for me. Um, so yeah, and I think I think the first like excitement I had in programming, and you know, most people would not call HTML programming, but uh, in the late '90s, I think that's when I got excited about being able to like technically code something into being. So yeah, I mean, that my brain doesn't really uh, work the way a lot of programmers and a lot of tech people that um, I'm around every day. Uh, are uh, their brains work and that's fine. Um, I've just always loved Apple products where you didn't have to like give it a bunch of programming <laughs> commands. Um, so now um, the way I push myself uh, into programming is to try to master the Siri shortcuts app because again that doesn't um, it doesn't make sense the, with the way my brain works this than that. Um, so yeah, everybody has different brains, but basic and it was not a wonderful experience. Although I do th- I do thank Paul Allen for it because. He, of course, uh, invested and funded Tech TV, and I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for him. Uh, I suspect some of us are going to have contemporaneous experiences here. But yes, Microsoft Basic on the Mac, definitely where I started out. In fact, I even wrote a couple of terrible pieces of shareware that I distributed to local bulletin board services. And people actually sent me money in the mail. It was crazy. Yeah. On on, the Mac. Yeah. Microsoft Basic on the Mac. Uh, I used it very early on. I do have that experience, too, of being in like a computer lab in school and having the Apple IIs where you could drop into Basic Mm -hmm. and doing the, you know, the classic... You know, 10, print, Dan is awesome, mm. 20, go to 10, you know, and then just walk away <laughs> and leave all the computers scrolling away. Um, but I did use Microsoft Basic on the Mac. I think I actually got my parents to, like, buy me the legit copy and everything. And I remember building a whole bunch of terrible, terrible programs. And it was a lot of fun. I can't. I remember coming across it somewhere else, maybe at a friend's house or something first, and I really got into it and was super psyched about it. But, uh, yeah, that was my main one. And then I, I will say, honorable mention to, I briefly tried to create a sort of a dungeon crawl game game in hypercard using hypertalk and that was also a uh, kind of a trip because you could do all this crazy visual stuff that basic was basically you know pretty terrible at for the most part i'm up um the first computers in my house were a commodore 64 and a capro that i remember and when you just turn the commodore 64 on without a disc in there um it was in basic you couldn't save stuff but you could create basic programming uh basic programs and my mom knew a little bit and so she showed me and i started working on that and then i quickly outpaced where she was and so they hired me a tutor from radio shack <laughs> um, oh, wow <laughs> and so i would then i moved to the uh, cape road to do the programming because you could write longer programs and save them um and then i eventually moved to the mac where i did a couple different i mean i did a lot of programming as a kid but i i used uh, true basic and had shareware apps that were on all those major shareware FTP exchanges um, for years. Uh, no one ever sent a postcard, not one. 
<laughs> what what did those apps do, Lex? Were those like fart apps or what, no, what were they? <laughs> no, these were uh, social networking. Just kidding. Uh, these were um, uh, there were some that were like. Uh, some that were uh, games, uh, using the word games very loosely, uh, and some <laughs> yeah. that were like painting kind of apps. Like it was really proof of concepts of I understand how programming works and I can do this. Yeah. I also definitely did a lot of things that were not screensavers in the after dark sense where they could actually be useful, but like you could double click this thing and it would load and show you crazy stuff on your screen. My, my, oh, my app was Star Trek themed. <laughs> Of course. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, kids, these kids today with their shareware apps. Um, the strangely young James Thompson built a calculator. Anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I too, I mean, this is why I brought it up. Um, the first computer I ever used was a Commodore PET, and then there were also Apple IIs around. They both uh, were driven entirely by basic or at least you could get to a basic prompt um very easily or by default uh the commodore i believe said ready with a period and then after that it was just you and basic to have fun i i got a book at some point i think it might have even been a manual of the commodore pet and it was it, and it had a complete basic language reference and i i basically uh poured, poured through that from cover to cover and absolutely from that 10 was my to ten thousand <laughs> yes that's right to nine 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 uh and throughout uh elementary school and high school that was all i uh that you know that was the the language that i used and that was how i kind of got to take control of my computer and it was really awesome and i actually was in a programming competition in high school at one point i remember uh that they you know they said we're going to do this programming competition and you're a computer guy you should come along and i got there and then there were all these people programming in like pascal and i was like I only know basic, but I did okay. I did okay. So, so you know, here's to Paul Allen and to anybody who was creating, especially in those early days, ways to get kids into technology and to understand the uh, the stuff they're using. These kids today with their Swift playgrounds and all of that, and their and their uh, you know easy tools for visual programming. But back in the day, we had basic and we liked it. Except Megan, who did not. <laughs> exactly, and I'm no longer ashamed to say that. <laughs> okay, so um, this week, Dieter Bone and the Verge uh, reviewed a new phone. Uh, it is a Palm. It's not really from Palm. It says Palm on it, uh, but that's it's just from a startup that purchased the name Palm. It's a tiny phone. It's $350, and you also have to pay $10 a month extra, um, and it's designed to use your big phone less, uh, so it sort of looks like, um, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a weekender phone. What do you think? Uh, first of all, it is kind of adorable. I'll give them that much. Like it is a it is a phone of a size that most companies don't make anymore, and I think that's one big point of appeal in its favor. Um, that said, I mean, I get the idea. It's just a it's a somewhat strange one because you know I certainly get the idea of wanting to get away from your phone and take a a smaller phone with you. But the phone is, in theory, no less capable, other than the fact that, you know, it's much smaller, so certain things might be more unpleasant and thus convince you to use it less. Uh, it's also weird. It's kind of linked to your own number, um, so you can't, like, give this phone to a kid, for example, and have them be able to call you. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's it's more like an Apple Watch. So one of the other sort of, con- like, um, comparisons has been to, like, a smartwatch. And, and I can sort of get that. I mean, I guess maybe I would prefer an Apple Watch with LTE if I really wanted to get away um, from my phone but still have access uh i i guess it's a 
It's an interesting idea. I don't think that it's going to do very well. That's just my guess. I don't think most people want to invest in a whole separate uh, device when they could just bring their phone with them. But I also understand the the temptation that if you bring your whole phone with you, you're going to do all the work and all the stuff that you swore you wouldn't do. So I'm kind of curious to see how it goes. And I, I am intrigued by this idea, but I'm also a little skeptical that it's going to go anywhere. I have a friend who works there, so I'm going to choose my words carefully. Uh, I love the concept. I'm not yet in love with the execution. I agree with Dan 100% on the size. I don't even mind that it's based on Android. Uh, it makes it impossible, I think, for most uh, iPhone users who are on Verizon and limited to Verizon right now because I think if your number is receiving iMessages, then you're going to have a hard time texting <laughs> from that phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we talked about this a little bit on The Rebound, available wherever fine podcasts are sold. And I, it does too much. I, would, I want it to be still smart but dumber than it is. I don't want to be able to put other apps on it i wanted to do i decided definitely not email i wanted to be able to do texting calendaring uh web browser and phone um uh john moltz and dan moore said it has to also do gps and i'm actually frankly neutral on it uh on that question but i wanted to do less than it does i think that ten dollars a month is just on the high side of reasonable to say i'm you know so affluent that i'm going to buy a separate phone so i can be less tethered to my main phone and then pay additional for its service um i think the concept is really smart i can imagine if apple made something that was you know, sleek and iOS based and did this and was tiny as a way to detether and not have access to email or Slack, uh, I would probably wait in line for that one. And I've never Lex, waited in line for anything. Lex, it's called the Apple Watch with cellular. And that's exactly what it is. <laughs> my problem with the Apple Watch is that I, um, well, I have many problems with the Apple Watch, but my problem with the Apple Watch as a solution to this problem is I hate using it for texting and phone calls, and I don't mind texting and phone calls even when I'm trying to be untethered from everything else. Interesting. But it is, I mean, that's literally, that. that is Apple's entry in this kind of field is just getting Fair. Apple Watch and do that. Now, um, I think, uh, I want to take a different tack with this, which is just to say, when Apple came out with its new round of iPhones this year, they had, the big story was that they had two large phones and one large-ish phone in the iPhone X, and they discontinued the iPhone SE. Uh, and a lot of people who like smaller phones are kind of up in arms because Apple is pushing everybody to larger phones. And I just want to point out, when we look at this Palm story, this is a startup that made a little, cute Android phone. And rather than sell it to people who want little phones, they decided their best bet to make money was to sell it to people who have phones that are too big as a little buddy phone. And I I, I say this because although I feel the pain of people who like little phones, I think what you're seeing here is at least the, the phone industry has decided that most people don't want little phones and that there is, in fact, apparently a larger audience of people with huge phones who are willing to buy a second phone for their phone then there are people who just want to buy small phones. I, I, I would love it if they would make this uh, product that would also be a nice little phone because that is an underserved market, even on the Android side, a really nice tiny phone for people to stay connected but not have a big, uh, you know, big thing in their pocket. I think that is great. So, But I just think it's really telling that the, this fraction of a fraction of a market is still considered bigger than the small phone market. Um, I don't you know, like I said, I, 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 the Apple Watch for me is this product. So I do think that there's some appeal in being able to walk away from your phone and still stay connected if somebody absolutely needs to, to connect to you. But, um, 
yeah, I just I, I'm just amazed at the fact that this is the market that they chose to be in, and I think I think they know why is that the large phone market is really large and the small phone market, you know, really small. It's interesting that uh, yeah, that I hadn't thought that this is really like an Apple Watch. My last Apple Watch had cellular. And I never left my phone. Like, it was never enough. I mean, when I was running, I did sometimes leave my phone at home, but I mostly didn't. So it's it's interesting. Um, I mean, Jason, do you often leave your phone at home and just use your Apple Watch? Yeah, if I go for a run or if I'm walking the dog or something, if I'm just kind of wandering around the neighborhood a little bit, I, I leave the phone at home. But you wouldn't, like, go on a, a jaunt, on a weekend jaunt without it? No, probably not, no. Yeah. Well, that is four topics down. We have hopefully just enough time for a bonus topic. And this week's bonus topic is, what is your favorite TV show theme of all time? Lex. Oh, I'm so underprepared for this question because I didn't look ahead. Um, I think my favorite TV theme song of all time is going to be the West Wing's theme, to which I have written lyrics, which I will share upon request. (laughs) Uh, Request. (laughs) Uh, I will send Dan a link that he can include in the show notes. (laughs) Okay, there we go. Jason? Uh, Lyric explaining the premise of the show version, Gilligan's Island, and instrumental version. Tough one. I'm going to say Hawaii Five-0. That mm. was always my mm. favorite instrumental as a kid, of, uh, and that it continues to this day, so it's got staying power. Megan, how about you? Oh, so, so many. Um, but I think I'm going to have to say the MASH theme because it was the mm. f- first real thing I learned to play on the piano. Excellent. Well, yeah, that's pretty good. I will say the, the, the TV theme that spawned this for me was the theme to the anime series Cowboy Bebop, which is just an awesome piece of jazz. Stands very well on its own. But like classic lyrical songs, probably Cheers. I think Cheers really mm-hmm. sticks with me. I like the non-included on the TV show verses of the Cheers theme song. It gets real crazy. <laughs> It does. It does get pretty weird pretty fast. All right. That is the end of the show. All that remains is for us to thank our fantastic guest this week, Lex Friedman. Thank you so much for being here. Always a pleasure. And Megan Maroney, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And Jason, thank you for stepping in and uh, doing some host emeritus duties here. Uh, We did it, Dan. We haven't done uh, this for a while, but we managed to get the ship into port, so I'm happy about that. Oh, God, we have a ship? I'm so so behind on all of this. Well, uh, thank you all for tuning in, and as we'll remind you, until next time, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.